Today's Day Chang Show is brought to you by TransferWise. Do you ever send money abroad? When you do, you should use TransferWise. Don't use a bank or PayPal. That's like going to McDonald's for a salad. They have it, but other people do it way better. Instead, use TransferWise. TransferWise always has a great exchange rate and a super low fee, which is probably why they already have 4 million customers. And their borderless account lets you hold over 40 currencies at once and convert them whenever you like. Test it out today for free at TransferWise.com slash Chang, C-H-A-N-G. That's TransferWise.com slash Chang, or download the app today. Starting a business is hard, and running one is even harder. It takes determination and support to push through the ups and downs, mistakes and experiments. That's why Shopify, a leading commerce platform and partner to business owners, just opened a space in LA to help you start, grow, and scale your business. You can book one, one-on-one support appointments or attend classes and inspiring events. Just visit shopify.com slash LA to get started. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network presented by Major Domo Media. Today, we have a special guest, Ike Barinholtz. We're recording at Momofuku We're in New York. He's on a uh, press tour for his new movie, The Oath. This is the first time that I've done such podcasts where we're talking about something that's recent. The movie deals with a lot of topical things, not talking about Donald Trump, but it's obviously a lot about that in politics. Again, I didn't think we'd have this kind of conversation on our podcast, but fuck it. This is what we're going to do. And I think there's a lot of similarities between what he's trying to do and what I think as a chef we can do with food without really talking about the things that could be annoying to people. Anyway, The Oath is out this Friday. It's Ike's first directorial debut. It's not what you expect. It's certainly not what I expected. It was, without revealing too much, caused me to think about certain things that I did not anticipate, especially with Thanksgiving coming on, especially with how absurd some of the world is right now. It pushed me out of my comfort zone, and I think in a very, very good way. This is my conversation with Ike. Enjoy and go see his movie, The Oath, out on Friday. All right, we're here at Momofuku Co. I'm with Ike. Can I? I've never pronounced your name properly, Baron Holtz. Baron Holtz. I was on Howard Stern this morning, and Tam Mom kept calling me. What was she calling me? Bear, bear hold. Bear hold. So it's I'm, better than that. You're better than tan mom. So I, that's good, David. I'm, a, I'm honored because um, you're doing Howard Stern show and then you got to talk to my stupid podcast. I'm more excited to talk to you. I've talked to Howard five or six times. I've never <laughs> talked to you outside of uh, hanging out at a hilarity for charity. So and this that's, is, that's this where is we met. That's where we met. You can see it on the Netflix special, Seth Rogen's Hilarity for Charity. And... I'd seen you on movies, but then to see you in the flesh, but you were um, in makeup. Full Satan makeup. Yeah, full like, Satan makeup. And like old school Satan, like red with like like horns and a tail. And it was the best part I've ever gotten. And I'm proud of it. And I stand by that performance. <laughs> I stand by it. I stand by it. That was a very strange thing for me because I didn't know what I was doing. In a room full of comedians, you guys all knew each other. Not just any comedian, like all the comedians that you watch on television for the most part. Right. And Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> and Jeff Goldblum. Yes. But we all wanted to talk to you. No, Doesn't that's, that say something? That's not true. That's not true. Because I was so, uh, I want to say enamored. I was so curious because the sort of the 
collegial fraternity like atmosphere. Yeah. Was very similar to how when you get one of these charity events with a bunch of chefs. Yes. It was very similar. And like I think like you, like I went to the food and wine fest years ago in Aspen, and I remember seeing like 10 superstar chefs together. And I might have felt like you where I was just geeked out. But unlike you, they did not want to talk to me. <laughs> and also everyone was so stoned there. It could have been a very easy conversation. <laughs> Except for the sober people. We are in yes. LA and 30% of LA is hardcore sober. <laughs> I should say but that. But it was um there was marijuana, very strong marijuana for sure. Seth Rogan has like I, I enjoy the weed. Seth has weed that I'm convinced is brought in from outer space. Because he, like I said, I'm seasoned, man. I'm like a seasoned Wiley veteran, but I'll take like two or three hits of his shit. And I'm just like, I'm done. I'm done for the night. I'm done for the week. It's hardcore. That night, I had to leave immediately after partaking in Seth's weed. And I lost my mind and I had to get out of there immediately because that's the second time that's happened. Yeah. It freaks me out. It's so, and he, he, it's just it's like nothing. It's like breathing air. I remember at the Neighbors 2 rap party, they had like a, they rented out like a ton of hotel rooms at the W Hotel, and everyone was just kind of going from room to room. And I was talking to Seth, and my dad was there. You know, my dad loves pot. He doesn't smoke it a ton, but he like gets excited. He's still like an old kind of guy from the '60s, and when he sees pot, he kind of perks up. And Seth took out a joint, and my dad like I saw him like stand up in the background, <laughs> like his ears were like tingling, and I, I mouth him. I go one hit, one, and he takes a hit, and he has so much like. Uh, you know, like old guys when they smoke a joint, they can't they can't just smoke it. They have to go like <clears throat> and like do like a like whole ceremony to it. So he takes like two hits of it. And like 25 minutes later, my little brother goes, Hey, we gotta go. Where's dad? And we went through every single hotel room and we finally found him in the last room in a giant chair by himself. And he goes, I have to go home. I gotta go home right now. I'm fucked up. I gotta go home. And I was like, Yeah, I know. That's why I said one hit. I've been in those shoes, literally. Yeah. Um, and that was that was where we met for the first time. And yeah. and uh you said that you worked on a project with Tiffany Haddish, who was there as well. Yeah. She was and there. I had no idea that things would come full circle yeah. because that project is your movie, The Oath. Opening this Friday. And this is why we're here. This is why we're here. This is crazy. I'm actually I had reservations tonight. I just came really early. <laughs> I hope that's okay. I'm a big food guy. And there's a few people that like when I when I'm hungry, I think of you, my good friend Vinny from John and Vinny's, and I love Michael Summerusti. Well, that's high company you put me in. So well, I'll those are my three guys. So I am honored to be here. And this is the only restaurant in Manhattan I haven't been to. I've been to every other Mamafuka well, one. I've never been here. Let's do this. And I haven't been. You're gonna kill you know, yes, Major Domo. You here's why, been. here's why, here's why. I've called three times to make reservations. Bro. Hold on, hold on, listen. And my assistant, Maria, God bless her. She's like, you're friends with David Chang, right? I go, yeah. She goes, why don't you drop the name? I go, I can't, I, I, I can't. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to nudge, you know? I don't want to nudge you and be like, hey man, it's Ike from Hilarity for Charity. Looking for a four top. I'm not going to do that to you. It has well, to be organic. After this, we'll talk. Okay, that's what I was really hoping to get yes. to. So thank you. Because All right, we can uh, just end this right now and, and move on. Do you mind? But let's just end the podcast. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Go next, see the oath next Thursday, Friday. Next Thursday, 8 o'clock, you got to the four top. And I knew that you were into food. I didn't know how into food you were, but yes. watching the movie, there is a scene where you drop the word umami. Yeah. And I was like, oh, anyone that does it in the way that you did, I was like, oh. This guy's totally into food. It's kind of a fifth flavor, halfway between <laughs> savory and salty. I don't know what it is. 
<laughs> I take it seriously, especially the movie takes place at Thanksgiving, right? And that's a huge holiday. It's my favorite holiday by far. And my mom and I do like a hardcore cook. Like we cook crazy shit. I'm going to tell you about one thing real quick. Everyone loves stuffing, right? Everyone loves stuffing. It's like, I think it's the most underrated part of Thanksgiving. It's like the greatest. And, and, and I make two kinds, right? I do like your typical kind of like a sausage, sourdough, whatever. Never raisins. Never put raisins in a stuffing. That's fucking, you should be sent to a gulag if you put raisins in a stuffing. That doesn't make sense. But then I had this idea and I acted on it. I went to Langer's. I bought a ton of pastrami. I chopped it up and I, I kind of just lightly sauteed it with, uh, sauerkraut and yellow mustard. And I used rye bread for the stuffing. And then I put Swiss cheese on it and it tastes like a fucking Reuben. And it is the greatest stuffing I've ever made in my life. Can I say that's actually why I think amateur cooks are sometimes now the best ideas moving forward. No shit. Really? Yeah. Because we're at a point at least on creating ideas in food where it seems like everything's been done. And if you're a trained chef, you're going to be like, no, no, I can't. That's right. That would, no, you don't do that. Right. But because that's sort of that wisdom now that you've built up prevents you from doing anything potentially a bad idea. Right, right, You right. wouldn't even know. Right. And I swear to God, I love talking to amateur cooks because they're like, I don't give a shit. Yeah, I have no rules. <laughs> I don't have a chef that's going to yell at me in the kitchen. And I think that's a great idea. No, yeah. no, no shit. I think it's, it's almost like a... A Langer's casserole. It's a Langer's casserole. And then I make a second one that I don't touch that night. And the next day we wake up and crack eggs over it and put it in the oven. And it's like a baked egg pastrami. It's it's so good. So we have to come up with a name. You can't just say it's the Langer's like ode to number 19. You have to say... Jufing. <laughs> I'm Jewish. I think we could say that. Jew, not stuffing. Jufing. Uh, I, think, I, think, I think that's... Jufing. 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 <laughs> That sounds like something Brett Kavanaugh got in trouble for (laughs) (laughs) high school. uh, That that is uh, a fart. (laughs) Uh, Oh, your honor, that is a fart, I believe. I believe that's a a term for passing gas. Jesus, Um, Lord. But, man, where where to begin? Like, you cook a lot, obviously. You like food. Love food. So I was really stoked when there's food integrated at the table in this movie. And, Truth be told, this is the first time where anyone said, hey, on here's a, a pre-release. Really? Yeah, no one's ever done it. For, You're the serious? first person. Yeah, come on, man. You are. You, you broke the cherry here. That's, well, now everyone has to do it. Yeah. Now whoever does the podcast. So I, I feel honored that you guys would even think about <laughs> talking about this movie. Well, I want to have you. I want you to have some context, you know? Yeah. Um, but the food was, it really was something that we, we really had like a lot of conversations with because I hate, I don't know about you, but I hate when I watch movies that feature food and it looks like shit or they get it wrong or they get it wrong or, or it just, it's like an afterthought. And to me, Thanksgiving is so iconic. So like my prop master, this guy, John Gold, fun fact, founding member of the band Oingo Boingo. Oingo Boingo. Pretty fucking dope, right? We had this long talk about it and I drove to set at 4.30 in the morning that morning and I was making my glaze and you have to like, the, the hard thing is learning 
that there are things that are going to make the food look good that you would never put. Like I would never put a ton of balsamic on a bird, but I wanted that red kind of crackling glazy look. And so uh, you kind of learn like it's halfway between cook and food stylist where you're kind of like doing these little tricks that would make the food taste bad, make it look more beautiful. But I was happy with it, with the way it looked. And Tiffany Haddish was happy with the way it tasted because she fucking ate the entire time. Like she put down like four plates of food during that. <laughs> She's like, I'm fucking hungry, dog. This is fucking good. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. Did you find it hard to match the food shots per take on the scene? We had certain foods you could eat and certain foods you could. So I was like, stuffing, go nuts. Have as much as you want. The glazed carrots, hands off. The turkey, don't even fucking touch it because that <laughs> thing will destroy you. <laughs> so uh, there was a lot of kind of care. And then even, you know, the end of the movie, we, the two of us kind of, after all this violent, bloody chaos, we kind of sit down for a nice apple pie. And there was a lot of conversation where someone was like, well, it should be maybe p- uh, pumpkin pie you know, or pecan pie because it's Thanksgiving. And I looked at it in my mind and I was like, apple pie looks better on camera. If you have an apple pie with the kind of... Pumpkin uh, pie does not, it's not photogenic. It is not. It looks like like shit a little but bit. truthfully, pumpkin pie is just a weird thing in general. It's a gourd. It's a gourd. My mom made a pumpkin cheesecake one year that was pretty dope because it like it tastes like pumpkin flavored air almost, but like a pumpkin pie. I don't, I don't, I don't think on that shit. I don't think on any pumpkin spice. Pecan latte. pie is very hard to beat. <sighs> but some people don't like pecan pie because mm-hmm. it's too textural. Mindy Kaling and I get in huge fights because she always comes to my Thanksgiving and she always brings the pie. And she likes hardcore fruit pies, like an apple pie or like a, uh, whatever pies and she's like a cherry pie. And I like the, uh, what she calls garbage shit pies, which is like, I like a chocolate cream pie or a fucking peanut butter cream. I like the, the, the kind of creamy, something almost tastes like cool whip is what I'm looking for. <laughs> I love cool whip and I don't love that. in and like an ironic sense, like I think it tastes great <laughs> and I have just enough trashiness in my food taste or I think I might have some credit. Well, you have great taste because if people knew what a miracle Cool Whip actually is, there's so many stabilizers in it that it's like the perfect amount of food science and comfort food. No bullshit. I think it, you're absolutely right. It's delicious. It tastes almost like you're flying through a, a cloud of sugar. It's like the most perfect thing. I love it. And my wife's like, no, dude, I'm not buying Cool Whip in the house. No, that's just not going to happen. So that's like my... uh when she's out of town, I get Cool Whip. I guess some guys like, I don't know, go to a strip club. I pick up a big tub of Cool Whip. Can you just do Cool Whip straight in? Instead of a tub of ice cream, uh, you're doing a tub of Cool Whip? I wouldn't do that, but I would definitely dip a chocolate chip cookie in there. I don't right. care. I don't care. I don't care. So, man, like, I thought I had stuff prepared as to how we were going to do this, but since I've never done anything like this, I don't even know quite where to begin other than talking about food, but I don't want to just talk about food. Although, maybe a segue is, I don't want to reveal too much about the movie either, but I watched the movie and I have a lot of thoughts about it, but I was thinking I had a very similar thing, sort of. It, it triggered something I had. Yeah. 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 It definitely... You're, are you DC from DC? Northern Virginia, yeah. Okay. So that Northern Virginia in itself is kind of a microcosm, I think, for the country where there's a yeah. lot of liberals, but then there's some hardcore red folks in there. So basically what the movie's about, just so people know, is, is if you can imagine a politically divided America... <laughs> And you have a president who's obsessed with loyalty. Step out of reality for a moment. And if the president introduced a somewhat mandatory loyalty oath, and the deadline to sign this oath was the Friday after Thanksgiving, Black Friday. So the the whole movie kind of takes place 
in this house the week of Thanksgiving and it's all about will you sign it? Who's signing? How could you sign it? Fuck you. And the whole thing happened after my own Thanksgiving where after dinner, we're having some whiskey and my mom and my brother and I got in this huge fight about the election because it was right after the 2016 election. And we were like mad. We were like pointing fingers and saying like, it's your fault, which is an insane thing to say. And the next morning I woke up and I, I said to my wife, I was like, holy shit, we all voted for Hillary Clinton. <laughs> we're screaming at each other and saying it's your fault. So, and then as I talked to friends of mine, like you, who had gone home and had anywhere from uncomfortable to unbearable experiences, I just knew that the space of the holiday table in America was done. And I wanted to kind of blow it up. So that's like, basically I, people like you were my inspiration. And it, if you really think about it, it is exactly when it happens because it's so rare that you get your relatives or your nuclear family together at the same table. And Thanksgiving is not a guarantee, but damn close to one where you are going to be sitting down together. More so than Christmas yeah. or anything, just because it's like, it's the one meal where everyone's going to be together. And I think it used to be, at least for my family, we're all pretty, like we're from like Metro Chicago. So we're all pretty blue, but, um, I think it used to be a thing where you could kind of pivot away from politics. Like we could be like, let's not talk politics. Let's talk about anything else. Let's talk about football. Not anymore. Like you're going to, you're going to talk about football. You're going to talk about taking a knee. Same thing with TV and movies. And, and so it's, I think just politics has permeated every aspect of our culture right now. And people are so dug in on whatever side they are, even if their side is the center, they're still kind of dug in on the center. And it's, I know so many people that are like, I don't want to go home for Thanksgiving. I'm just not going to go. And I think that's bad. I think it's bad to not go. I think it's bad to not have these conversations, albeit, you know, even if they're difficult or uncomfortable, I think we have to challenge ourselves to talk to our relatives. These are the people who like we're supposed to be connected to. So it's tough. Like, do you, when you go home, like, are you going back this year? Yes. It's going to be right after the midterms. Are you gearing up for a battle? <sighs> oh, man. Well, people know in my family not to like bring it up with me because right. I will just become a pit bull. Yep. That's why I think the character really resonated <laughs> a lot with me. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I will go full insanity because mm -hmm. I did that already. Right. It was a Thanksgiving when we invaded the Gulf under Bush, yep. which is crazy when you think about like how much I dislike George W. Bush. And now I'm like, man, that guy was sort of awesome. He's a sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> Killed a million people. I miss him. <laughs> and I was so surprised as to how pro-Bush my family was, right. particularly my parents. Yeah. And the funny thing with a lot of immigrants that are Asian, they tend to take conservative positions. And I was in stark contrast. And I remember having to, I think I left. I think I, I actually went back to New York. <laughs> I was so upset because I was like, what happened? How did my family, what? Yeah. These are the people that I love and they should see all the things that I hope that I see as well, but it's different. And I'm trying really hard now to not tell them that they're wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's so hard. Yeah, it's hard. And, they, and they've, their opinions have changed as well. But here, I'm living in New York and they're in suburban Virginia. Exactly, man. You're, like, you're in a kitchen with people from all over the world. You're dealing with people from all over the world and, and down the street. And, and you have this incredibly global, multicultural experience. And 
people who are just kind of, it's the suburbs, man. The suburbs have fucking destroyed America because it's, it's pulled people out of the cities where I think we're supposed to live. And it, it kind of adopts a very homogeneous attitude and it makes you feel like, you know, well, I, I'm not like these city folk, even though you live very close to a city and it's tough. My friends, my friends who are from the suburbs are the ones I find that are much more frustrated than friends of mine who are from rural communities, mm. even though probably in the rural communities, it's more of Trump country. But at least then it's kind of a known quantity what you're going into as opposed to the suburbs where you go home and you're like, wait, what? Wait, hold on. We're like a nice Jewish family from Manhattan. They moved to Scarsdale. You guys fucking like, like it's, it's more of a culture shock. Yeah. I did not expect to have feelings the way I do. And I think that was a success for you because I think you want people to think about things that they didn't or don't necessarily want to think about sometimes, right? I was basically like, in my head, first of all, I was going crazy. Like I was going absolutely nuts. I, I I was letting like important things, you know, like family and 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 friends kind of fall by the wayside. And I remember this one morning at like 6.30 a.m. and my wife was nursing our newborn and I was reading an article about Trump. And I just looked at her and I was like, America's done. It's over. She's like, dude, it's fucking 6.30. I got a kid on my boob. Chill the fuck out. And I was making people crazy and I wanted to kind of take that poison that was in my head and kind of expose it a little bit and tell a story about, you know, a guy who's feeling like I am, but he's much worse than I was. Like he's unbearable. And I've been getting a lot of shit from some liberals who have seen it who are like, oh, you made the liberal guy unbearable? And I'm like, yeah, but I fucked on the conservatives too. I think for good satire, right? Which is what this movie is. You have to really kind of shine a light on on how the modern American political climate combined with the way we process our news is breaking people's brains. Do you think though, and this is what I thought was super interesting for me was you just said that this movie is satire. Yeah. Do you think that satire in this day and age is hard for people to understand? Yes. Because- well, because I think one of the things that are just kind of leaving the country is nuance. There's not a lot of room for nuance anymore. It's so kind of, which side are you on? You know what I mean? And so I think, yes, it's tough to sell a family comedy that's a, about politics and is about kind of what we're feeling and really fucks on the, the right and shits on the left. Um, but satire is something that we don't see a lot of anymore. It was huge in the 70s because all these filmmakers were making movies in reaction to Vietnam and Watergate and stuff. Um, but I think when you have like absurd times, which is what we're living in, it's absurd. Donald Trump is the president. That's absurd. We need satire. We need people to kind of tell those stories and kind of shine a light on how stupid everything is. And some people will just be like, I don't want to watch it. I don't want to watch it right now. I don't want to, I don't want to be challenged. I want to watch Avengers, which I know what I'm getting, or I want to watch a horror movie. And so I challenge people to go see this and see a movie where you go, you will laugh and you will kind of get scared and, you know, thrilled a little bit, but it's got a little homework. It's got a little bit of a takeaway message and that's how I feel. And now a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's Dave Chang Show is brought to you by Le Creuset. As a chef, we always talk about sourcing the best quality ingredients and knowing your suppliers, but using the right cookware and tools is just as important. Le Creuset was the first to pioneer colorful enamel cookware over 90 years ago. With that history and experience, they produce the finest quality and design, and they have been a favorite for generations through the meals and memories it creates and the style it expresses. They are the first to introduce color to the kitchen and are pioneers in enameled cast iron, which features the superior heat 
heat retention of cast iron paired with unparalleled performance and ease of enamel. All cast iron is made in France since 1925 in the original French foundry, and each piece of cast iron is touched by 15 pairs of craftsman hands. Original heirloom cookware backed by a lifetime warranty. Bold colors and timeless designs allow for expression of personal style in the kitchen and beyond. It is, without a doubt, the kind of kitchen equipment that I constantly recommend to friends and family when they ask, what should I buy for my home? I also tell chefs, you should use Le Creuset. It's great. It is legitimately cast iron that is great to cook in, roast in, braise, you name it. And it's also incredibly durable because of the cast iron. And because it's enameled, it has a lot of color and it pops both on the table and when it's just sort of chilling on your stove. It just looks great. Check out the new color from Le Creuset. Just launched in September. Indigo is the truest blue. Inspired by the iconic natural dye, the rich, deep hue of Le Creuset's indigo is universally authentic. A timeless, true blue. And bold, neutral in style and cultures around the world. We also... (laughs) are using this recently at Major Domo. It looks great. I really recommend it. It pops. Get free shipping at lecrusade.com slash Dave with promo code Dave. That's lecrusade.com slash Dave with promo code Dave. And now back to the show. I think about this with food a lot. Like, how can I change someone's opinion? And for a long time, it was like, you have to eat this the way I want you to eat this. And you have to almost think about it the way I want you to think about it. And now I realize like that just creates like a totalitarian state, right? Where yeah. there's no diversity. Do as, do I, as say. I say. Yeah. And then I realized that is exactly why we're in so many problems. Yeah. And now as a creator and you're, this is your first directorial debut. Yes. So congratulations. Thank you. How do you get people to see that they have free choice you know what I mean? Like, how do you get people to not get angry or be sensitive to something now? Right? Because we are in an overly sensitive age. 100%. 100%. And for some good reason, yes. And some things get edited out because of that. I think one of which is satire. Yeah. I think we have to keep making it on whatever level we can. Did you see Sorry to Bother You? Is I that, movie? that I thought did a pretty good job at kind of taking, I guess the, the bigger concept is racism, but kind of like, white guilt and satirizing that they're hard sells, man. They're hard sells. Like I think we have become so programmed with our movies where if it doesn't fit nicely in one box, people just have a bit of a hard time. You know what I mean? They do like it also look, it's <laughs> to go to a movie theater in 2018, you're paying, let's say you're going with your wife, you're paying $30 for tickets and you got to park and you got to do this. And people wanted you know, to be, just easy. They just want it to be easy. And so it's hard, but you just have to tell the story and hope that they connect with it and hope that they take away some inkling of your intention. And most importantly, you do hope they enjoy it. Like if you're making a satire that's not funny or is not interesting or or exciting, that's not going to help. And again, without revealing too much of the plot, because you guys should all see it. I was like, man, it's satire. But in this day and age right now with Trump, it's not that ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's not like, and the craziest thing was every step of the way, like I early on knew that I wanted loyalty to be like the thing that the government was asking for. Cause I, I never really, like I grew up in Chicago and LA and never thought about Donald Trump. I thought he was just like a guy. But as he entered our, our lives in the political arena, I started reading about him. I saw obsessed with loyalty. And I've always been obsessed with McCarthyism. 
and the Red Scare and what loyalty meant back then and how that was a loaded term. And there's this connective tissue that runs between Joseph McCarthy and, and Donald Trump and Roy Cohn. So while we were filming it and while we was writing it, I'm into my second draft of the movie and I turn on the TV and he pinned down Jim Comey and was like, are you going to be loyal to me? Are you going to be loyal? And then as we were showing it to distributors, there was something he tweeted about something called National Loyalty Day that I never heard of. And even last week or two weeks ago, you're reading about NAFTA with a new NAFTA deal. And inside the deal are these kind of this buried language about loyalty. Canada must be loyal and stuff. So it's something that like, like Jimmy Kimmel says, like, we're going to look back in three years of this movie and be like, holy shit, it's a documentary. (laughs) (laughs) And it is scary. And I think some people, it is a little too real. But I think, again, if you're going to satirize something, the mirror should be pretty close to what you're doing. I think for me, if it's too kind of far removed, people might not pull any extra meaning out of it. Because so many of the characters, and by the way, the cast is fucking insane. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like Tiffany Haddish, like John Cho, who I think is kind of becoming like one of my favorite actors, like everything he's in, he's so good in. And Carrie Brownstein and my brother, actually, that guy who he's actually my brother. In the the preppy brother. He's actually my brother. He's <laughs> actual my human brother. Um, but we got we got a good group. People like read the script and they were like, hey, this is a movie about what's happening. I want to do it. And they were fucking amazing. I watched the movie and I kept on thinking about the idea of pragmatism. Yeah. And I don't know if people think about that more and more. And it's something that I talk quite a bit, at least when we think about doing Ugly Delicious. Mm. And Which is that, awesome, by the way. Thank man. you very it's much. Awesome. And I, I get loaded. And it's, it's so funny. I never want to talk about politics mm. because I just don't. I think there's ways to be indirect about it. Yeah. And one way I can do it with food is if you are open to something that you weren't open before, then that's what I'm, I'm yeah. not telling you you have to do anything. Yeah. But if you are accepting of it and you're open to trying something delicious that for whatever reason, culturally prevented you from doing it, that's all I'm doing. I'm not going to try to yell at you. I'm not going to try to say that this is the best. And I find it weird now where if you're a content creator, if you're creative art, that in this day and age, it almost Everything skews back to politics, almost. Yeah. How do you not do it? And I got so mad when that political correspondent said to uh, LeBron James, basically, just shut up and dribble. Uh, it made me so mad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you can't get around it now. I mean, look, Taylor Swift understands that probably 30% of her base are folks who live in rural areas and and love her countryside. And for years, I think she had pressure from people being like, why don't you speak out and say something? And finally, last week, she did. And like, I I think that's like a big deal. I think that means it was weighing on her so much because the times are so extreme. Like, we're seeing things. That's what it is, man. Like, we're being pushed so hard. We're, as Americans, being asked to accept things that a year ago, a year ago, I said to you, hey, you're going to see video of children being separated from their parents at the border. You'd be like, that's not going to happen. Like, it sounds crazy, but we're getting pushed more and more. So it makes sense to me that these conversations now, like if you're going to avoid them, it requires either a lot of discipline or complete apathy. And the discipline I can work with, the discipline is like, if you're someone who's like, I have to stay focused on my my goals and my tasks and stuff. And I understand that, you know, talking about politics is a dangerous business that I get. But the people 
and uh, you see this unfortunately with with like you know I just watched this MSNBC report where they were talking to like young kids about boating and they're like what huh and like the apathy is what fucking kills us because if you read history man it's apathy it's apathy and not ta- having these conversations where your bubbles get so small where then the really bad shit happens it's too late and we don't have connections with these people so how and I, I've been asking this more and more on this pod is how do we get to a place where we're finding a compromise. And I think that your movie is not open-ended per se, but it's going to be more impactful if people that don't want to watch it, watch it. Yes, 100%. Because it has an optimistic ending. Like, despite the gore and the blood and stuff, there was a lot of discussion, not to give too much away. There's a lot of discussion of people being There's like, zombies in it too, guys. There's zombies. We have a short zombie scene at the very end. They come up. But there was a lot of discussion about more people dying and and, and let's make it really bloodier. But it was important to me that I try to end it on an optimistic note because despite everything, despite the awfulness we had a, you know, a couple of weeks ago and, and despite all the shit that we've been dragged through the last two years, I'm still optimistic about America. I think America is, uh, this guy, John Gunther said, America is the only country that was founded on good ideas. Like every other country has religious undertones or this. America was like a bunch of people are like, this is a good idea. We can do that. And I think it really is bigger and better than Donald Trump. So what I'm hoping people take away is, let me try to challenge myself to keep these connections active with my uncle. No, look, I'm not telling, like you, I'm not telling people what to do. If you have an uncle who's just a horrible racist, fucking like, okay, he can go, right? You don't talk to him. But like your aunt who like doesn't really love Donald Trump, but she voted for him and will probably vote for him again. But like, it's important that she hears your point of view. It's important that you let her know how you feel about stuff without, you know, physically getting violent. So I hope people keep those connections and they also stay plugged in enough to be aware of, of what's happening, but unplug a little bit. And like, for me, it was Twitter. Like it was just, I was my, my, my character. I was going crazy and unplug a little bit, make sure that we're not letting these forces rob us of our joy. So it, it's like, look, the movie's going to push you a little bit. And it's, you're right. Most people, the people who need to see this movie the most are the people who won't. Right. And that's just one of those things you have to, you know, hope that it sneaks on, you know, one night when they're watching Netflix and they're like, oh, I like Tiffany Haddish. And they watch it and they, they, they watch the whole thing and they, they, they can have a little resonance. But it's hard to get them to do stuff, especially now, because I feel like if you're talking about, you know, a certain percentage of the country, I think that they hate the way that we have treated Trump, even though we would say, but look how he's treated us. And so it's, it's not a great time right now. And it's going to take so much patience and just a lot of work and a lot of humility, I think, from both sides to kind of try to fix this because it needs fixing, man. And again, I'm not a filmmaker. I'm not an actor. We can change that all right no, now, no, no, buddy. No. I'm the reason why Treme was not picked up for a, a, a fourth season on HBO or third season. Uh, wow, they're like, wow, that fucking guy. We can't write him out now because he just ruined the whole fucking show. So um, well, acting's hard, man. Fuck. It's hard. I talk so much shit about actors over the years because like, oh, they're not really working that hard. And I... Take it all back. Yeah, it's man. It's so hard to be good at it. It's so hard to do what you do. Holy shit. My so. writing partner always for years is like, I want to act a little bit. I want to act. And then finally we put him in something and he's like sweating and just like clammy. He's like, it's like Albert Brooks in a broadcast news, just like sweating through his shirt. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of hard, isn't it, fucker? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> like anything else, anyone can do it. But to be good at it, it's fucking hard. It takes reps. And I can't do that, but I can try to create restaurants and environments where people might be able to eat something. And 
I continually think about where we should open up, not just in places that are going to be where affluent people live, but maybe how do we open up in places that are out of our comfort zone that are going to push boundaries and make something super delicious. And it's a crazy conversation to have that I have internally as like, if let's just say I open up in Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. Let's just say I could open up some fancy tasting menu restaurant. There are people there that would appreciate that. Yeah. But am I best served opening a restaurant that's going to try to appease as many people as possible and get them in the universe and then slowly Well, I I did talk to a friend of mine who's pretty uh, well-versed in politics. And I said to him, uh, what can we do? And he said, well, the best thing would be is just to to start moving. <laughs> like, like he's like, if you have to live in New York or LA for work, that's one thing. But if you're able to do your job anywhere, it's like move to Florida, move to uh, South Carolina, because again, we're breaking out of the shell a little bit and we're, we're moving our bubbles. We all have to get out of our comfort zone. We all have to get out of our comfort zone. And to me, where you come in is, in my opinion, nothing brings people together more than food. Like even like Will Ferrell, Right. Like, I think now some people might be like, eh, I don't know about Will Ferrell, even though the vast majority love him. But like, food is the equalizer. Like, you know, Phil Rosenthal. Yes. Like, Phil, you read his Most book. Most positive person I know. And his whole thing, like, I remember reading his book and he would talk about everybody loves Raymond. And he was like, my theory on that, that's just too Jewish. As I'm doing it now, it's too, and I'm Jewish and Phil's Jewish, but I just, that was, that was almost anti Semitic the way I was imitating him. <laughs> but, um, but his whole thing was like, look, I'm going to get like the greatest coffee cake and I'm going to put it at the crafty table. And if people walk up and they're eating this amazing coffee cake, then they have this connective point where they can be like, oh my God, did you taste that coffee cake? It was fucking incredible. I know, right? And at least then they're talking. So if you were to open a restaurant, you know, in Omaha, yeah, if it was a tasting menu, you know, you would be, I think it would be a very, you know, obviously a high-end thing. But like if there was like a noodle bar there in the middle of like downtown Omaha, then all of a sudden you have all these people who probably have radically different positions than you on things like Trump and politics and stuff. And they're eating your food and they, they, they learn about David Chang and they learn about your culture. And I, by that, I mean like the culture of how you hire your chefs and who you put in your restaurants and where you travel to find your food and your experiences. And it's that kind of stuff that will help. Like it really will. And I immediately thought of the crawfish shrimp episode in Ugly Delicious, not to just refer to me, but like, I just think about the overlap that we can do. If if you're making film and the restaurants, and I think as someone that wants to find a compromise, the chef there was saying, I don't care who we serve. We have Democrats, we have Republicans, we have all nationalities in there, and they're all in agreement that they like my food. Yep. And I think that is probably the first step to have some commonality where we can just have a dialogue. Hey, you like this? I also like this. We're very different people. What else do we have in common? And that's why we do need things like food and art. Although I think food is a little bit easier just because it's something that's so tangible and you could eat it right then and have the instant you know, joy. But we're missing that connectivity desperately right now. And people don't even want to go be in a position they don't have the tools to find that commonality, right? And and especially like people online, you know, that's the worst where you're dealing with people yelling at each other online. Like you're never going to fix it that way. It's like face-to-face contact and finding that one thing that's bringing people together. And like, for me, I can tell you like right now, like it's without a doubt, it's food more than movies because movies will still be divisive. TV shows will still be divisive. 
But food is just, it's the great equalizer. Something delicious, depending on taste, is going to bring people together. So I want to invest in your restaurant in Omaha. <laughs> how does this happen? <laughs> you know what? I'm totally down. I, and this is the stuff that I'm thinking about is how do we get out of our comfort zone and how do we do food that is impactful and, and part of the community? And you know what? A lot of things have to change and not just for myself and my company, but a lot of my peers in this business. It is a responsibility that I have. And I don't think it's about yelling at them. This, no. is, this is how you should eat. Yeah. That is the worst fucking thing we can do. I just saw like, and I don't know this, I'm, I'm literally like reading off of a headline, but someone was like, Gordon Ramsay's new show is he goes to chef's kitchens and tells them what they're doing wrong in their native country. And I was like, I don't know if that's going to fix it. And don't get me wrong. I enjoyed watching uh, Kitchen Nightmares back on BBC. It was fun, you know, but I think that kind of era might be over and I think it should be over. Right. It's kind of one of those things. I did this movie called Blockers. I love that movie. Thank you. Hilarious. Hilarious. And one of the things that I, I really liked about it, and I think other people did too, is everyone was very nice in the film. Even like when the girls tell the guys, hey, we don't want to hook up. The guys are like, cool, no problem. Great. And I think part of that is our culture has become... I don't want to say the word cruel, but very coarse right now. And I think it's very easy for people like me to be like, well, look who's the president. You, you have a guy who unabashedly is an asshole, right? That's his brand. And that activates other assholes. Oh, I'm an asshole too. And I see the president's an asshole. So I'm going to scream at this woman speaking Spanish in this Kmart right now. Like we're seeing that all over the country. So what I'm hoping is that the kind of attitude we start seeing, not just from you know movies and TV, but from chefs is, is one of a little less anger. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like the movie Horrible Bosses. Loved it. Hilarious. So great. I don't know if it worked now because it's such an angry age. And if you have a bunch of characters that are kind of like, they're hilarious, but they're kind of hateful. And so to me, I kind of see us pushing back the other way and being like, there's so much hatefulness out there right now that's coming from literally the highest levels that we need to kind of bend the other way to kind of make it feel a little uh, more even. And you mentioned that you were getting some criticism from the liberals. Like, if anyone needs to eat a dose of medicine, it's definitely the liberal party. Uh, yeah, 100%, man. And like, look, I'm not a both sides kind of guy. Like, I firmly believe like one side is more based in truth and good faith. But I think liberals, first of all, I think they have a tendency to cannibalize each other and like, oh, you voted for Hillary? Fuck you, man. But you should have voted for Bernie because Bernie would have won. That's not helpful. And then people who are like, I voted for Hillary, you know, fuck you, you Bernie Sanders, you hated women. You know what I mean? So liberals have this thing where they want to eat each other. And, and because they do listen to each other, you know, because they're liberal, they get in these big arguments. But look, I think it's crazy if we say this is a one-sided problem. Look, one side is doing far more damage to like the important things like the environment and, and our morale. But I think liberals cannot walk away kind of scot-free and say, we're perfect, we, we're right, because we'll keep losing then. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's Day Chang Show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You know what's not smart? Job sites that overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes. But you know what is smart? ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't wait for candidates to find you. ZipRecruiter finds them for you. 
Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply. So you get qualified candidates fast. No more sorting through the wrong resumes. No more waiting for the right candidates to apply. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from the hiring sites of Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. C-H-A-N-G. ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. ZipRecruiter the smartest way to hire. Today's Dave Chang Show is also brought to you by Hotel Tonight. Here's a little insider travel secret from our friends at Hotel Tonight. There are tons of empty hotel rooms out there just waiting to be booked. And Hotel Tonight has partnered with these awesome hotels to help them sell these unsold rooms, which means you get incredible deals. Seriously, if you love scoring amazing hotel deals, you gotta try Hotel Tonight. Forget scrolling through these never-ending lists. Hotel Tonight shows you a select list of incredible deals at cool hotels they think you'll love. And they even give you short profiles of each hotel, complete with all the info you need and pictures of what the rooms really look like. Plus, even though their name's Hotel Tonight, they're not just for last-minute bookings. You can also book in advance. Perfect for spontaneous weekend getaways, three-day weekends, staycations, road trips, business trips, booking a place with a pool or more. So to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now. And now back to the show. This is going to be a weird sort of story that ties it in, at least for me, when I, because I can, I always make comparisons either through sports or through food. That's just the world that I live in. Amen. To better understand the Amen. world. Amen. Speaking my language. And I keep on thinking that the only thing that we can do, or at least I can do without being a role model myself, is to practice pragmatism. And American pragmatism to me is what is most useful in that moment because truth and falsities don't really matter. And when telling someone that they're dumb and they're, they're wrong, doesn't get us anywhere. And your movie is a perfect example of that. And I think like the best character in the movie is Tiffany Haddish because she's a pragmatist. She is the one who, even though she agrees with me politically, she's trying to take care of her kid and just try to keep the trains running on time. And I'm kind of, you know, being this kind of armchair, you know, I think she refers to me as the white Nelson Mandela. And I'm the one who's like, I think I'm causing change by just yelling at my in-laws and tweeting when she's actually being a pragmatist and trying to keep the family together. And I think we need a lot more of that, a lot less ideologues and a lot more pragmatists. And for me, a perfect example of that, at least in my profession, is the chef Dan Giusti. And he was on my pod a couple of weeks ago. And here's a guy that could have opened any restaurant in the world and pursued a career of awards and narcissism, because that's what I just think more and more making that kind of food is if you're trying to win like three Michelin stars type of stuff. Not that it's not important, but like there's good narcissism too, I guess. But the fact of the matter is here he is and he's in an interesting position. He's making food for kids that need it. Yep. That oftentimes it's the only meal that they can eat and he wants to like make it awesome. And I've been in conversations with him and I've seen the other angle particularly those of, and I'll just say it, like the slow food movement, I, which I'm supportive. I, I love it, sure. but it's also not practical. No. And someone was giving Dan a lot of shit because they were like, you're not using organic food. Mm-hmm. Well, he's like, you're supporting all the wrong things about food. There are all of these things that are bad. We can all agree that these are not ideal things and ingredients. But Dan's like, 
I have to make do with what I got. 100%. Right? 100% would I believe in a world and would I fight for a world where the food that I'm making is made with the best ingredients from locally. my garden. Exactly. Right. Yeah, but you can't. You can't. Uh, he's got a dollar twenty-five to make a meal per kid. Yeah. So what's the best? Feeding them nothing or getting them something with that's made with love and care. And I swear to God, it drives me fucking insane when the other side, which is how I interpret a lot of the hardcore liberal elite, sure, that they're unwilling to look themselves in the mirror and be like, I need to compromise. I got into a big fight one day with a friend of mine when they were trying to repeal Obamacare. And he said, you know, if Obama would have just given us Medicare for all and actual socialized medicine, this wouldn't be an issue. And I was like, are you fucking insane? Like he tried for years to do that and he had to compromise. He had to pull things out of the bill. He had fucking Joe Lieberman come in and get rid of the Medicare uh, uh, payout. He, He tried so hard. It went through five different courts. It went all the way to the Supreme Court. And on a fluke, Justice Roberts said, okay, it's a tax. We can keep it. So it's like, yeah, it would have been great if Obama snapped his fingers and we had the same thing that Norway has. We don't. He couldn't get that. Do you agree that Obamacare is better than what we had seven years ago where people were fucking going bankrupt if they got lymphoma? No, of course it's better. So we have to look at the things that we have and sometimes say, hey, this is the best thing we can do right now. Let's try to improve on it. But at least now we have a baseline and we're, we're, we're helping someone. This is something that I tell my cooks all the time, particularly chefs that are sous chefs that are becoming chefs. And I think it's endemic of the world we live in, particularly how people want something immediate, right? Without thinking that the process, trusting the process is actually what you need to do. When people start to make dishes for the first time, and I see it more and more all the time, actually, they have this perfect idea in their head of how they want this dish to be. And they continue to ideate in their head without actually making version one, two, three, or four. They're they're already at version 100 in their head without actually figuring out what it even fucking tastes like. Yeah. And- I'm like, dude, that's the fucking problem. I want you to fuck up version one through 100. Yeah. Because the reality is if you actually make the dish over and over and over again, version 101 may not be anything like you no, thought it was No, it's a new be. thing. It's a new thing. It's a living, that, yeah. breathing process. Yes. Yes. And I see this time and time again now, and particularly in politics, in all sides, it's like, this is how it's going to be because it's perfect in my head mm-hmm. and we're, it's perfect legislation. And I'm like, Nothing works that way. No, it takes time, man. It's a, like you said, it's a living thing. It's a process. And I think people, uh, if we don't deliver immediately and it's not exactly what we wanted, then it's shit. And that's no way to live, man. You're never going to be happy because, or, or you might be happy, but then this guy's not going to be happy. And me, no one's going to ever see me as a, a optimist. And I don't know how I could ever see this work. I'm not saying pragmatism is the truth and the light. It's not because it's never going to make anyone happy. But I think that if I can li- live in a world of like making dishes, pragmatism is the only way you can get there, but it's hard fucking work, man. Mm-hmm. No one wants to fail. No one wants to take responsibility for fucking it up because they get chastised. They get seen as, oh, you're dumb. Mm-hmm. So what do you do then, man? Like if you make this movie, how do you get other people to be like, hey, it's your responsibility to do something else too, but no one wants to be, it's it's safer to be the wallflower and to throw stones. Yeah. I mean, in terms of this, all I can do is hope people see it and they, they are able to look through the story and see kind of the metaphors and stuff. But 
I don't know if there's a way you can make someone do that. You know what I mean? I don't think there's a way you can, you can kind of force someone to like change their personality. Right. It's so hard, especially now they're so dug in and people get so fucking sensitive when you critique them in the slightest. I know I do, you know, I do. I'm sure you do too. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's fun. But I, I think this movie's a start. My hope is that, and like the good thing is, is I do see that people are taking messages that I think are helpful and they're putting them, look, I made a whole movie about how I'm feeling about the state of America in 2018. And I know it's very hard for like a big studio movie to do the same thing, but I see like little indicators here and there. Like I see like some messages in Black Panther that I thought, you know, obviously Get Out was amazing and Get Out basically is like, hey, this is a horror movie that's going to scare the shit out of you. It's about racism, right? And so I, I, I think... We have to just like we trust our chefs and we 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 trust our writers. We have to trust the filmmakers that they will start kind of trying to take some of these concepts and and kind of sneak them into those big mass market movies and then make them relatively palatable so people subconsciously walk away a little bit smarter. I hope we keep making, regardless of how the oath does or, or, or people take it, like, I hope we still keep making movies like this because, first of all, it's fucking funny. Like, to me, like, it's so, I still shouldn't say this, but like, I still laugh at Donald Trump as president, even though he's a calamity, but I still like laugh at the absurdity of it. And so it's funny and entertaining, but I feel like I want to see more of these. I want to keep seeing movies that are talking about America in 2018. Do you think that? And I've been thinking about this more and more because it's back on Netflix is The Last Jedi by Ryan Johnson. Yes. Who's a friend. And I support it so much simply because it's done all the things that we're talking about without actually talking about. Oh, it. they have a whole scene in Canto Bite, which yeah. is basically like, fuck the 1%. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're never going to look out for you and you have to, you know, sometimes you have to jump on that giant animal and fucking and let it, it run through and, the casino. It, there was moral ambiguity in there. Yeah. Which was crazy. It's crazy. It was, it, it, it's such a good movie. If you really look at it, I mean, it was a great movie anyway, but we did a podcast about it because I was one of those bros that watched it for the first time. And Ryan's my friend. I was like, I don't know if I like it. Right. It's funny. It took me two viewings too. Like the first time I saw it in the theaters, I was so stoned. And I was like, I was like, ah, oh, what? It fell apart. And then I watched it with my daughter. She's she's five and she's obsessed with Star Wars. And we watched it and I was I was riveted. I was like, I and that's that's the perfect example of what I was talking about. How he's gonna take this very familiar container that we all know and love, and he's going to give you thrills and stuff, but there are these you know, subtle and also not so subtle social messages, but just baked in there. It's impossible to walk away from seeing The Last Jedi and not kind of be like, eh, fuck the rich. You know what I mean? Which is good. I mean, for me, that I fucking want that shit. And what he did with that movie is really what I really hope to do with food, where it's like, I just want you to appreciate it. But when I think about that movie, it is such a perfect analysis of the world we live in because I think everybody wants goodness for everyone. I hope, right? Yeah. Do you, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you feel guilty in 2018 when you go to like a three-star Michelin restaurant? Do you feel like a little like... I'm guilty about everything I do. Has your, has your, <laughs> <laughs> has your POV changed from going to like per se in 2018 than it was going to per se in like 2012? Well, I think how I want to eat is a little bit different. I appreciate that. And this is, I think, part of me curbing my own default setting yeah. for saying like, no, I think the popular opinion is like, 
would be, I would imagine, you shouldn't support a restaurant like that. But then I would argue the next leaders of the food movement are working at that oh, restaurant. They're, they're like sous chefs. They're yeah. prep chefs. A hundred percent. hundred percent. And part of this is a process where you, we are all so guilty of making judgments that are uninformed and that are gut reaction. And we have this ability, I think, and I can only speak for myself, where we think that if I interact, if I intervene, I'm going to make the situation better. Mm-hmm. Maybe the best thing for me is just to support all restaurants. Yeah. No, Not just that. that restaurant, but yeah. all restaurants. Yeah. That restaurant is just as important as the bodega that I go to. Yes. And yeah. I think what we're missing is celebrating diversity in the culinary arts. And that's what I think. Yeah. And I think that's the same thing in movies, right? Like in anything we do, you can't just say that's bad and that's good. Like who the hell knows why they believe in anything, quite frankly. Right. And- that's not a cop-out, but I'm like, yeah, I think the easier answer is like, you can't feed those super rich. Well, I think it's important because if you ask most of the cooks there that make way less than where people think that they probably would make, they're there because they want to make beautiful food. Yeah. And, and they, they want to learn food. the best techniques yeah. and yeah. they like the team. Yeah. And I don't see anything wrong in that. Yeah. That's good. I mean, I'm still, the, I just, first of all, I just took my wife for her 40th to French Laundry. <laughs> Holy It's a beautiful experience. And like, you know what it is too? It's like, I find those places, one of the reasons I don't have the guilt, even though I need to borrow money for the bill there because it was so fucking expensive, but there's a joy there. And you can tell the people who work there, whether it's, it's, it's the Psalm or whether it's the busser, Everyone is is happy to be there, and they're just like you said. They 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 love food, and they love the team, and they they want to learn how to do more. And for all we know, a guy who's a sous chef at fucking per se or at at a French Laundry, he's going to end up going and opening like the greatest barbecue restaurant right. you've ever had in Compton. Or look at someone like Dan Justy who yes. ran Noma, yes. and he's now opening school cafeterias and making it better. It's like. You don't know what's going to happen. The worst thing you can do is say, you're wrong. I'm right. That's yeah. what I think. The two groups of people who I think are like affecting the most change on their level is the culinary world and the NBA. Those are the two kind of arenas where I, no pun intended, where I see people kind of taking the modern American experience and trying trying to display it and, and kind of trying to break some of the norms. That's why my two favorite things to do are to eat and watch the Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, even, though, even though they're not going to be good this Wendell year. Wendell Carter's going to be good. I, I have high hopes for him. Should never have traded Jimmy Butler. I don't. I just don't get it. If they kept <laughs> Butler, we're looking at like the third best team in the East. And now, although I will say this, man, I live in LA and I am really excited to see LBJ out there, man. To He's see looking LeBron. good. He, first of all, he put on like 10 pounds of muscle. That team is going to be wacky as fuck, but like I'm there for it. Like Rondo bringing up the ball to LeBron, then he throws it to LeBron. It's just, it's going to be a really fun team and they'll make a giant acquisition extra. They'll pick up like Duran or something. They'll be unstoppable. Well, I think we could talk forever, but I don't want to take your time completely. Can I just ask you a few questions real quick? What was the last two best meals you had? Man, last, I don't go out to dinner that much anymore, but you know, this is the funny thing. This actually is very applicable to what we're talking about. If I say one of the best meals I had was the new menu at Noma, mm-hmm. then I'm going to be seen as elitist. Yeah. Right? Like, right. Yeah. You know, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Sure. Like, it was a very thought-provoking thing. And, and I liken it to like, oh, it's like watching um, 
like Hamilton or something. Like no right. one says Lin Manuel, you motherfucker, you're charging all these Tickets expensive prices. Tickets are so expensive, sure. <laughs> yeah, no one's. And if they do, they're assholes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I think we all need to take a step back, and I appreciate what they're doing, and it's important. Them doing what they're doing allows everyone else below them and different price points to do what they're doing as well. It's pushing our understanding of food a little bit further. So that's how important that meal is. And on a completely different level, just, I don't even know where to begin. Like, I mean, I follow your Instagram. I see like all the kimchi stews and stuff. First of all, you know, I live right by Koreatown in LA, man. And when you order takeout from a Korean restaurant there, first of all, it's like so much styrofoam. It's like 15 things, but like they give you a tub of kimchi stew for like a dollar. Oh God, I can bathe in that shit. And oh. I, I'll give you one in K-Town. And this is the thing is like, beauty is in the eye of the beholder for sure. And certainly taste buds. There's a restaurant in K-Town and I'm going to fucking ruin it for some people there. Because it's called Spoon by H. I don't even remember the address. And I was just there like a month ago and someone took me there who's going to be so pissed. Yeah, I just yeah, yeah. You just blew their, you blew up their spot there. <laughs> But I think the owners are going to be like, keep yeah. talking, honey. <laughs> and it's a dessert shop. And they do food if you ask them. And they'll make homemade Korean food. Uh, and they've been there for six years. And they work their ass off. And you're like, why haven't they opened up a bigger location? And they're like, because no one's given us the opportunity. Right, you know what I mean? Right, and right, right. You, when you eat their food, I was blown away by how much you can just taste the love they're pouring into this thing. It just is so delicious. And they're like homemade Korean dishes. And I didn't even know. I sat down. They said, let's meet at this restaurant, Spoon by H. And there's no menu. They're just, it's almost like a tasting menu, mm. but it's not. And I was blown away. And that's the thing is I hate saying that certain restaurants have to be a certain thing because sure. I always want to be, I love being wrong. I yeah. love having my understanding of the world be turned upside down. And that will only happen if I'm open to like new shit. Yeah. People got to open up. Let me tell you the power of you though. I was doing posts for the oath one day and I'm sitting in the little booth with, or the little post room with like four other guys. And I clicked on your Instagram and you just, you did like a slow-mo video of a patty melt from Cassell's. <laughs> And like 36 minutes later, five patty melts arrive via Postmates from Cassell's. I bought them for everyone because your Instagram looks so fucking good. That's a legit patty melt. It's great. That place is amazing. They also have like, there's only a few places in LA where you can get like legit hash browns, which are kind of like my favorite thing. And they have like, a, like a, it almost tastes like a McDonald's hash brown. Cassell's is good all day. Breakfast, brunch. But the patty melt there, they have a good chicken sandwich too. It's all good. It's also like the fresh. pies are good too. Yeah, the pies are really They're, good. They have your kind of pies. So my final question to you, can I get a reservation at Maitre Doma? No. We'll, we'll see. No. Okay, thank you. See, For the record, yes. No, we don't operate that way. I, okay, I, I don't you. know what you're thinking. I'm giving it a thumbs up and the wink and I got it. <laughs> and that is why I came, baby. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for joining Dude, thank us. Thank you and, so much uh, for having the me. The Oath is out on Friday. It's out everywhere Friday. Go see it. There's there's a lot of movies you could see, but there's none like this. And it'll make you laugh and be scared. And uh, maybe you'll call your brother. Do that. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, pal.